We need to remember that our God doesn't bring death and destruction upon us. Our God created us for righteousness and immortality. Unfortunately, there is evil in the world, and it has other ideas, which is the very reason we are called to love and support one another. We're called to be generous and fair to everyone. Sometimes life can be more than we can bear alone, so we need to rely on each other and make sure we don't give in to fear. We simply need to believe in the Lord. Welcome to the Real Word Podcast for the 13th Sunday in Ordinary Time, Cycle B of the Roman Catholic Lectionary. I'm Brandon Jubar, and I'll be your guide as we walk through the readings for this week. It's an important process because we believe the scriptures are the inspired Word of God. But to really be nourished by the Word, we need to break it open and look a little deeper. We need to let the Holy Spirit speak to us. Now, the messages I get from these scriptures might feel right to you, but you also might find that the Holy Spirit tells you something else, and that is absolutely all right. So if you're ready, let's dive in. All right, as I said, tonight we'll be looking at the readings for the 13th Sunday in Ordinary Time, Cycle B. Our first reading is from the Book of Wisdom. It's chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, and chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. Our second reading is from St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. That's chapter 8, verses 7, 9, and 13 through 15. And our Gospel reading will be from Mark's Gospel. That'll be chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, and verses 35b through 43. Now, just a couple things to note. First, we have readings from both the Old and the New Testaments. Uh, Wisdom is from the Old Testament, or the Hebrew Scripture, and it is part of the Deuterocanon, or what Martin Luther called the Apocrypha, which is a more negative name. These are books that were included in the Scripture canon of the early Christian church, because they were part of the Hebrew scriptures at the time. But somewhere around 70 AD, Jewish scholars settled on an official list of 39 holy books and rejected nine books that had been included in a popular Greek translation. Now, Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation, they also rejected these books, as do most Christian denominations today. But the Catholic Church continues to include these books in its official canon of the Bible because they were accepted as canon by the early Christian church. Um, St. Paul's letter to the people of Corinth is also from the New Testament, or the Christian scripture, as is our gospel reading. So we do have, as I said, readings from both the Old Testament, the Book of Wisdom, and the New Testament, which is St. Paul's letter to the people of Corinth, and our gospel reading. Now tonight, we'll see that the devil did a bad thing, we should do a good thing, and Jesus did the best thing. Okay, let's start by going through the readings, and then we can talk about the messages we find. Our first reading is from the Book of Wisdom. God did not make death, and he does not delight in the death of the living. For he created all things so that they might exist. The generative forces of the world are wholesome, and there is no destructive poison in them, and the dominion of Hades is not on earth. 
for righteousness is immortal. God created us for incorruption and made us in the image of his own eternity. But through the devil's envy, death entered the world, and those who belong to his company experience it. Our second reading is from St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. I do not mean that there should be relief for others and pressure on you, but it is a question of a fair balance between your present abundance and their need, so that their abundance may be for your need, in order that there may be a fair balance. As it is written, the one who had much did not have too much, and the one who had little did not have too little. And our gospel reading is from Mark. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue, named Jairus, came and, when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, He saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kom, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was twelve years of age. At this they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. All right, so let's take a first glance at these readings and ask ourselves, what does it mean? Let's see what messages we can find if we dig around a little bit. So our first reading was from the Book of Wisdom, and this reading basically disputes what has become a rather commonly held belief, the belief that when death and destruction happen, it must be God's will. When bad things happen to good people, it's for a reason, and it's all part of some higher purpose. And when a loved one dies, even tragically or unexpectedly, it's all simply part of God's plan. Well, and when a hurricane destroys New Orleans or forest fires ravish California, it's it's God punishing those wicked people. 
but that's not what this reading says. Here in the Book of Wisdom, the, the Wisdom of Solomon, the, the most recently written book of the Old Testament, God is presented to us as a God of life, a God who offers all of us a share of divine life, and a God who makes people imperishable. It says, God did not make death, and he does not delight in the death of the living. It can't get much clearer than that. This reading implies that to trust in God is to trust that God is a healing God who brings life out of death. God doesn't bring death and destruction. God offers us salvation from it. This reading also implies that to not trust in God is to believe that all life ends in destruction, which is exactly what Satan wants us to believe. That's a tough message for lots of people because we tend to think in terms of reward and punishment. Good things are rewards, right? Bad things are punishments. Oh, but wait, if we, if we didn't do anything wrong, well, why are we being punished if something bad happens? And here's the logic most people accept. If bad things are happening and I'm not being punished, well, then it's all part of God's grand plan for me. God, God doesn't give us more than we can handle, right? Well, wrong, actually. That's a, that's a twisting of what St. Paul wrote in his first letter to the Corinthians, where he was speaking about not being tempted more than we could bear. We can face down our temptations, but we often face more hardship than we can bear alone, which is why we're called to be in community and to rely on each other and to rely on the Lord. But I digress a little here. Uh, the main message I got from this reading from the Book of Wisdom is that God is a God of life. God didn't create us for death and destruction. God created us to be righteous and immortal because our God is a God of life. And our second reading was from St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, the people in Corinth. And I think this is yet another message that's tough for many people to hear. In fact, this is one of those passages that I've seen get watered down time and time again. But to begin thinking about what St. Paul is saying here, I think we should look at Paul's words in light of the goodness of God that was proclaimed in our first reading from the Book of Wisdom. What I mean by that is think about the gift we've been given. If, if we truly believe God created us to share in the gift of immortality, a gift that we know was given to us through the resurrection, then how could we doubt that we're called to be generous with our mortal gifts? How could we, in good conscience, downplay this clear calling to step up and take care of those who are in need? Look, the Catholic Church is clear in its social teaching when it comes to this. In Catholic social teaching, the, the preferential option for the poor says that we have to think first about the needs of those who are most vulnerable, those with the least power, the least authority, and the least resources in our society. When we, the collective we, make decisions, create laws, set policies, design programs, we're called to place the needs of the poor and vulnerable first. In this reading, St. Paul is saying, look, 
You excel at all these things. So I need you to excel at one more thing. You need to remember the generosity of Jesus. Remember his selfless act and then be generous with your worldly possessions. You need to find a balance where everyone has enough. And one thing I'd like to point out, plenty of people read this and interpret it as the singular form of the pronoun you. They read it as if St. Paul is writing to them as individuals. And, and that's fine to a degree, but we should be as generous as possible individually, right? So, so that's fine. But in the original Greek, there are actually two forms of the pronoun you, a singular and a plural. And in this passage, the plural form was used. The intent of this is to say that you all, the collective you, have to find a way to bring balance to this whole worldly possessions problem. You, as a community and, and within the larger society, need to find that fair balance. Well, here we are 2,000 years later, and we're farther from that balance than we've probably ever been. But the main message that I got from this second reading is Christians are called to generosity and fairness. We aren't just Christians at church and when we pray. We're Christians 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That includes when we're working, when we're playing, and even when we're voting. So when we're considering laws, regulations, and programs to, to support, remember that Christians are called to generosity and fairness. And finally, our gospel re reading was from Mark's gospel, and uh, it's another example of Jesus performing a miracle. Jesus performed lots of miracles in Mark's gospel. It's a short gospel, but lots of miracles packed in there. Now, I read the shortened version of, this, of the reading tonight, um, but you may hear a longer version at Mass this coming weekend, which uh, includes another healing miracle while Jesus is on his way to the house of the leader of the synagogue. So it's sandwiching one story inside another story is a nice literary device, but I think this shorter version gets at the same messages. Because we know the story of what ends up happening to Jesus, that he's basically set up and executed by Jewish religious leaders. So it makes it interesting that the leader of the local synagogue is coming to him for help. I guess when his child's life is on the line, apparently political power struggles kind of take a back seat. Now, you might have noticed that Jesus kept a pretty he kept, kept it pretty low key the entire time. So when people told the leader, "Your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher," Jesus didn't say, "Do not fear." I mean, he, he he didn't he didn't he didn't make it really big and 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 yell out to the crowd. Right, the, you know, the do not fear, just believe in me and I shall solve all your problems. Jesus said to the leader, do not fear, only believe. Right? He didn't say it to all of them. Mark is careful to point out that Jesus spoke these words to the leader of the synagogue. He didn't announce it to the crowd or make a big show of it. And even though there's a, a big crowd gathered, Jesus then only lets a few people follow him to the leader's house. And and, and even with this smaller group, he doesn't say, oh, don't worry, I'll bring the little girl back to life. In fact, he says, oh, the child isn't dead, just sleeping. 
Mark says that they laughed at that, but I doubt if it was a hearty horror, funny joke kind of laugh. I'm sure it was more of a bitter, heartbroken scoff of a laugh. So Jesus sent everyone outside except the parents and the, the people who were with him. And then, even then, he keeps it low key. He takes the girl's hand and says, he doesn't say, be healed by the power of me and get it. No, he grabs her hand and he says, little girl, get up. Now, obviously, everyone is amazed because they know she was dead. But Jesus says, don't tell anyone and just get this little girl something to eat. It's interesting that he kept it low key from start to finish. And the leader of the synagogue came to Jesus in faith. He believed that Jesus could save his daughter, but he thought he was asking Jesus to heal his daughter, to make her well because she was sick. It was while he was asking for Jesus's help to heal his sick daughter that the other people said, dude, your daughter's dead. Leave this guy alone. And the implication is that they might have believed, they, those people might have believed even that Jesus could heal the sick, but they didn't believe he could conquer death. But Jesus saw the faith in the leader and encouraged it. Because he looked at him and said, do not fear, only believe. So and the main message I got from our gospel reading today was just that. Do not fear, only believe. When things are going great, it's it's easy to believe. It's easy to proclaim the good news and say that we're followers of Christ, you know, modern-day disciples, when things are going great. But when we're truly tested, when we're faced with death or destruction, fear creeps in. During those times, we need to remember what Jesus said. Do not fear, only believe. All right, so let's sum up what we've talked about so far. In our first reading from Book of Wisdom, the main message I came away with was God is a God of life. In our second reading from St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, the main message I got was Christians are called to generosity and fairness. And finally, the main message I got from our gospel reading was do not fear, only believe. We need to remember that our God doesn't bring death and destruction upon us. Our God created us for righteousness and immortality. Unfortunately, there is evil in the world, and it has other ideas, which is the very reason we are called to love and support one another. We're called to be generous and fair to everyone. Sometimes life can be more than we can bear alone, so we need to rely on each other and make sure we don't give in to fear. We simply need to believe in the Lord. So let's step back and take a second glance at the readings kind of overall and ask ourselves if our path is any clearer. I like to ask two questions. So what? And now what? So what? Why should we care about any, any of this? Well, we should care about this because most people are too quick to believe Internet meme theology. Now, add a corny saying to the picture of a sunrise or a cuddly kitten, and people will treat it as if it's the gospel. God doesn't give us more than we can handle. What doesn't kill us makes us stronger. 
The Lord helps those who help themselves. You know, bumper sticker theology was bad enough. Internet meme theology is worse, dramatically worse. <laughs> and even those, even though those sentiments, you look at them and, and they might seem harmless, they can lead to lots of horrible ideas. If you can't handle what God's thrown at you, well, you're weak or just a poor Christian. If things in your life are crushing you and you don't feel stronger, you know, because because it hasn't killed you, you should feel stronger. Or there must be something wrong with you. And if you're poor and powerless, well, it's your it must be your own fault. You made poor decisions. We all have the same opportunities, and you must have wasted yours. So God's not helping you. So why should I? Those are the kind of extensions that come from those, those the bad ideas that come from the seemingly harmless internet theology, internet meme theology. All right, so now what? All right. If if that's if that's wrong, what what do we do? What are we supposed to do? Where do we go from here? Well, a lot of times I suggest we look to ourselves and look internally. You know, instead of looking to ourselves this time, let's let's focus on the plural you. You as in you all, as in us, we, the collective we. Let's start thinking about what laws, policies, regulations, and programs could help create a more fair and balanced society. Let's learn what can be done to follow St. Paul's advice and do whatever it takes in order that there may be a fair balance to what we're called to do as Christians, and we are Christians all the time. So here's your real challenge for the week. I think it's actually a pretty pretty simple one. Read about the preferential option for the poor. Do a little learning. It's a simple action, but it's important to leave behind the internet meme theology and learn about actual Catholic social teaching. Now, for those of you who have listened to me before, you know that I'm not always a fan of what the Catholic Church does when it comes to their hypocritical treatment of certain groups of people. But the church really does have a very rich teaching when it comes to social treatment uh, or societal treatment of the poor. So read about the preferential option for the poor and then take the next step and think about what exactly you can do. Well, before I wrap things up, I'd like to leave you with one more quote from scripture. You know, it's not always easy to step up and fight for a fair and just society, but remember what we hear in Psalm 106, verse 3. Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. When you step up and fight for the rights of the poor and powerless, you are truly, truly blessed. All right, we've come to the end of our time here together. Um, I'll be back again next week. In the meantime, I really do encourage you to use this as a starting point. Spend some time with the Bible on your own. Read through a passage a couple times. Think about it. Pray about it. And open up not only your mind, but your heart. Break open the Word and then listen to what the Holy Spirit says to you. The Real Word Podcast is brought to you by The Real Values Project, Real Youth Ministry, and The Real Values Framework. Real stands for Respect, Engage, Accept, and Lead. For more information on The Real Values, please visit keepingitreal.club. And finally, the Bible readings used for this podcast are from the New Revised Standard Version Bible, copyright 1989, 
by the Division of Christian Education of the National Council of the Churches of Christ in the United States of America. Used by permission, all rights reserved.